Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. You know, those people that are in broadcasting. If we can find any of those, we can put a show together. In the booth. Good day to be doing some radio today. It, it is dreary. It is in stark contrast to the beautiful weather we have had for most of this fall. And uh, it's a day to kind of hunker down, hang in, watch some playoff baseball, and get ready for football in the Carrier Dome Friday night, the Orange and Clemson. And we're going to spend quite a deal of time on the Tigers. We'll make this our sort of game preview show, or at least opponent breakdown show. We'll be joined by both the play-by-play voice of Clemson Tiger football, Don Munson, and as well the head coach of the defending national champions, Dabo Sweeney, uh, both set to join us on the show. We'd love to have your input as well. You can join us by phone at 4ESPN44. That's 437-7644. So lots of good Tiger talk to come on the show. This is an outstanding team. Wednesday's the day that we uh, work on the Syracuse Sidelines program that airs on uh, Spectrum News Thursday nights at 7 o'clock and, and uh, put a lot of that together. So I spend a good deal of time with Coach Babers on Wednesday mornings and talking with him about this game. And it is such a daunting task. You look at the amount of talent and production on this Clemson team, the experience, and not just guys that have played but have played in big conference and national championship winning games and the defensive line is hard to take your eyes off these are destructive forces four starters across the line each individually responsible for at least two sacks personally as a team 22 sacks in six games coach says well historically to pull off an upset like this you got to score in the 30s against a team like this Clemson has allowed 68 points for the season in six games. Of the 68, 42 of those are in the fourth quarter, which would indicate they've let their foot off the gas pedal a little bit. They have allowed 26 points in the first three quarters for the year. So the starters, let's round up a little bit and say they've given up 40 points. They've scored a lot more than 40. That's why they've won all six games this season and 11 in a row. So we'll get back into the Tigers' uh, in just a bit. I want to follow up on a big topic of yesterday's discussion and then one that wasn't a topic and very rarely is on this or any other program in the uh, first couple of minutes we have off the top of the show. Yesterday we spent a good deal of time on the New York Mets purchase of the Syracuse Chiefs. We visited with our friend Matt Michael who's been uh, in and around that story for a long time going back to the really the 90s in terms of covering the Chiefs beat on an everyday basis for the post standard, and then certainly throughout that time, the management and ownership of the team, uh, an important story, and it continues to be. And the Mets had a press conference here yesterday, bringing all the big guns, including uh, Jeff Wilpon. He and his uh, father uh, own the team. Sandy Alderson, the general manager. Matt Harvey making an appearance at the press conference. Would love to have heard the co- Hey, Matt, we need you to come do Well, but I, 
hey, listen, you've put us through enough. You're getting on the plane. You're coming with us to Syracuse today. So uh, Matt Harvey in the appearance, that made a nice uh, first impression. And uh, Joni Mahoney and company up there in the photo op that I saw. And the big question we had yesterday at this time, what would be the lease situation uh, and what is the commitment on the Mets in terms of keeping the team here? Will they put money into the stadium, et cetera? And a lot of that obviously still is to be determined, and it's going to be based on their actions, not on uh, their initial words here. But the basic answers to the questions that we were raising yesterday, and we'll try to uh, get more when this is a little bit more topical, is that the lease between the team and the city runs through 2025, so the Mets assume that, and that would keep the team here through 2025. And the Mets say, a quote from Jeff Wilpon, we plan to be here for the long haul. We've given them our word that we're going to be here. We plan to be here for the long term is a quote uh, in today's Daily Orange as I look at it uh, from Jeff Wilpon, the owner of the Mets. Governor Cuomo was here talking about the synergy of the Mets kind of keeping their teams local. I'm not sure why that's necessarily a state concern, but it does uh, put the Mets with uh, three minor league affiliates in the state. They would have uh, Brooklyn for their New York Penn League team, short season team, Binghamton for their double-A team, and uh, Syracuse for their triple-A team with uh, their A-ball teams in the south at uh, Port St. Lucie, their spring training complex, as well as Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, And that's how major league teams want to be set up. I also found it interesting that Las Vegas yesterday announced that uh, they have earmarked $80 million for a new triple-A baseball stadium in Las Vegas. So Las Vegas is going to be a happening city here in a, in a couple of years that is going to go from a triple a AAA team and minor league hockey and poor facilities to national hockey league, national football league and triple a baseball in a beautiful brand new $80 million facility. So that might be a little more desirable now for the West coast based major league baseball teams to have their affiliate in Las Vegas. The Dodgers have, and some other teams over the years have been in there, but of late it's been East Eastern based American or not American, Eastern-based major league teams. And so, for instance, the New York Mets, they want no part of being in Las Vegas, and that was the driving force behind uh, their purchase of the Chiefs to have a geographically suitable uh, AAA operation. So more to come on that. Looking forward to seeing that. So we talked about that a lot yesterday. How much, Polly, did we talk about the U.S. men's national team yesterday? Zero. That was zero. Okay. I, I wasn't even aware that there was a big game last night until, of course, the world exploded with their loss and the fact that they're not going to make the World Cup. The outrage was Im- immediate. It's incredible. It was immediate. People love, not only do they, lo- they love their soccer, they love to tell you about their soccer, and they love to show you how sophisticated they are because they're into soccer and you're not. It's the same thing, like, we can go to the local grocery store here and the the foo-fooier ones, the, they have the the imported European sparkling, it's orange crush right it's sun-kissed but they put some other label and you feel better about it uh so people love their soccer and uh, what a disaster it appears to be as uh, a country of 300 million lost on the field to a country of 1.3 million trinidad and tobago taking the uh, yanks down last night with a real cracker there was a long goal that's what you call it a, a, or a howler a wonder strike uh a goal from long range but um Here's the only thing I'm going to say about it because I don't really I, – I can appreciate soccer. I don't watch it religiously. I would certainly watch the World Cup. Uh, I'll watch it even 
without the Americans in it. I'd watch it much more intently, of course, if Team USA were in it and were competitive. Um, I My background is in baseball, where there's no real uh, – the firing of Joe Girardi and uh, John Farrell might say otherwise, but there isn't – usually the overreaction to one game in baseball because you got a game the next day and the day after that and the day after that and the best team only wins 70 percent of the time it, it, the way it's a level playing field the the uh the best team can win any day or lose any day any team in the major leagues can beat any other in soccer where by definition well-played games are one oh two to one it's incredible the reaction that people have about games that hinge on one play, right? So everybody was going around the internet to Taylor Twellman, and he's, hey, look at him going berserk, and he is going berserk. And the United States shouldn't lose to Trinidad and Tobago probably in anything except sun. But, uh, and ampersands. (laughs) But uh, the whole idea of complete outrage, clean house, fire everybody, there's obviously issues. I want to learn more about it, and if I do learn more about it, we'll share it here on the show. I want to talk to people that know more about soccer. and know, People say, hey, level the whole system, start over. I'd like to know more about that and uh, how one would go about doing that and to what end. It will make ESPN Radio interesting because they carry most of those games, mm-hmm. and with no U.S. in it, I can't imagine be that the listenership will be yeah. anywhere um, near. You know, I've would follow Syracuse soccer a little bit. They're having a, a tough go with a lot of new players this year, and it's a, a pretty big fall-off from where they've been in the last uh, couple of years. They recently lost four consecutive home games. Um, in fact, I think it's five in a row now. But the way the program is constructed here, and one of the reasons they've been good, a lot of their players are European. Well, that tells me that you're not going to be competitive in men's college soccer by recruiting because what I hear is the problem is players don't get any better when they're 15 to 18 in America. And that's who you're recruiting if you're trying to build college soccer. Here, pretty good men's college soccer program, and their players are from all over Europe. So, um, and some Americans, but all, all over, the, you know, they, they have like Sweden passing to Utica, over to Dutch, back to English, you know, over to Liverpool High School, over to. So uh, it's an unusual uh, team there, one of their better players from Colorado, et cetera. So they've got a mix. But I want to learn more about that, and uh, what more we learn, we will share here. All right, from here on out, Tiger Talk. The rest of the way, we'll visit with Don Munson, our counterpart at uh, Clemson, their football play-by-play announcer, football and baseball, and we'll visit with Don when we come back. You're in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. This is Brent Axe. Listen every Thursday at 5.30 as the head football coach of the Orange, Dino Babers, joins me on the block. Brought to you by Burdick BMW, Burdick Lexus, and Fair Rubbish Removal on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Be seen and be heard. It's a Friday night game as the Clemson Tigers invade the Dome. Pre-game at 5, kickoff at 7. Catch Syracuse football all season long on TK99 at ESPN AM 1200. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse brought to you by CH Insurance, CNYRealtor.com, and Burdick Ford. Good to have you along for the ride. It is indeed, as the voice guy said, a Friday night game in the Dome as the Orange take on the defending national champion Clemson Tigers and the voice of the Tigers, the director of broadcasting at Clemson is Don Munson. He joins us now. Hello, Don. How are you? 
Man, I'm good. Hope that you're doing well. Appreciate yeah, you having me on. Absolutely, my friend. And uh, I thought we'd start with just uh, your recap of how much fun this has been. Football's a big deal at Clemson, and uh, they were for a long time digging for that next championship since uh, 81 and, and able to capture it last year. I bet it was a heck of a ride. Oh, it's it's been unbelievably fun. Uh, you know, I, I continually tell people that I've got the best job on campus. Uh, you, you know how it is. They pay us to go to games. <laughs> Uh, and, and we get to have a lot of fun. We get to see a lot of stuff that's obviously behind the scenes and get to do a lot of things with players and coaches and administration. And it's, it has just been an absolute blast and it continues to be a blast. Uh, you know, I, I don't think this run is over for, for Clemson. I'll, I'll be, I'm very honest when I say that I think there's multiple national championships that are going to come out of this program over the next couple of years. Well, I think you're not alone in that opinion. Even people from outside the building are going to think that and, and certainly, if I were at Clemson, I would take it as a uh, an achievement or an accomplishment for people to say, "Oh, ho hum, it's going to be Alabama Clemson again." Well, you'd like to <laughs> if you can narrow it down to a two horse race for as long as possible, you'll take your chances with that. Yeah, but you know, you you can't get caught up in that. You know, and you know, I, you know, people forget that you don't have to be number one, you don't have to be number two, but you do have to be number three or number four. You know, you got to be somewhere in the top four when that committee decides who's going to get a chance to play for the national championship. And that's really what you're, what you're striving to get to. It just be one of those final four teams that is, that is standing this year, obviously an opportunity to either go to New Orleans for the sugar bowl or out to the Rose bowl in, in California and, and playing that one with an opportunity to get back to, to Atlanta. So uh, I don't think that, you know, around here, I know that some fans are, they, they really want that number one status, but I can tell you players, coaching staff and stuff, they, they could care less. They're, they're going to earn what they earn. They realize that they take it one game at a time and, and Coach Sweeney is just marvelous at, at doing that with his program. No doubt. We're going to ask him about that when he comes on a, a little bit later here, Don. Uh, the thing I'm most curious to hear about from his perspective is how you balance the idea of momentum. You know, you've won 11 in a row. This is clearly a sustainable program now and that type of thing versus the focus on one game to the next and and uh, how you use some of that enthusiasm and, and, and what the currency of the program right now, because this is the high point in, in, in Clemson football with the facility, uh, the way recruiting is rolling. From where you sit, how do you evaluate you know, what it took over these recent years to kind of make the difference for this to be a program that rolls as opposed to a good team every now and again? Well, I, I would tell you that the key question you need to ask, Coach, when you have Ball in here later today is, you know, the vision that he had, because that, that's been the biggest thing, is that right from the get-go, when he was hired, and by the way, Friday is the anniversary uh, of when he took over as an interim coach okay. at Clemson. That 13th is his anniversary. Uh, so, but, and right from the get-go, he's had this vision, and this is what Clemson has attained right now is part of the vision, but still... There's more to the vision, and, and he hopefully he can share that with you, that this is, this is just the beginning, that the, the best is still yet to come uh, for, this, for this football program and for this university. And he's been marvelous at selling that. Everybody has bought into it. And when I say everybody, I mean everybody, from the president to the, to the, to the team, players, student body, fan base, everybody has, has bought into it. And I think to a man, everybody will tell you that, you know what, best is yet to come. Don Munson is with us. He's the director of broadcasting at Clemson and has been Mike's side for this incredible run uh, for the Clemson Tigers. And for this season, Don, the story 
has been just suffocating defense. And I, I know a lot of the good Clemson teams uh, over the years have had good defenses. What about this one? Is, is this uh, tops of them all? Yeah, I think that this is uh, this may be the best one that 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 Brent Venables has certainly had is in his time here at, at Clemson. I mean, you you take a look, and they've only given up 26 points in the first three quarters of games this year. You know, they're giving up 42 points in the fourth quarter. Part of that is because actually by some part of that time they've been playing you know third and fourth string guys. But best is still the standard. That's the that's the the, the standard that is here at Clemson. So coach will probably be a little bit upset with they've given up 42 points in the fourth quarter and only 26 over the, over the other three. So, you know, he wants to see his guys, no matter who they are, when they come in, be ready to go, be ready to play. But now this, this defense led by the front four, uh, but it, you know, the front four gets a lot of, gets a lot of press that believe me, it's, it's everybody. In, and they are just so deep. I mean, they are, uh, Matt, you're going to see this. They're, they're going to play, you know, 25 to 30 guys when, mm. when they're there Friday night and the, the depth is just, it's just unbelievable and it, and it really does help them. Well, you just scan through it. I don't know many teams that have a fourth, where the fourth leading tackler among the linebackers has 25 tackles at this point in the season, <laughs> you know, it yeah. gives you an idea. It, Unless it's uh, yeah, at, it, at Virginia it's where I think they uh, inflate the tackle stats. If you always <laughs> you notice, there's Virginia always <laughs> leads the uh, conference in tackles, but that's a inside baseball discussion for another time. <laughs> I like that. I, I can, I can see that, uh, yeah. you know, but, you know, every 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 staff goes back re reevaluates the film, and the the, the tackle so, uh, stats always change. That's one of the things that I always point out on air is that all right, these are the unofficial stats. So sure. we'll, we'll hear more, you know, more on Monday or Tuesday when they actually when we get our stats in our hands and see what has actually happened according to film. Sure. Uh, so Deshaun Watson was a, a stud uh, the last couple of years, and he's gone on. He's represented Clemson extremely well, jumping right in. Uh, with the Houston Texans and in the Houston community, which I know has to make everybody proud there. And what before the season did you think you have had in terms of Kelly Bryant? Uh, how is he matching up to that for now? And and uh, then I guess we'll touch on the injury status. Yeah, well, I think Kelly's a stud. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I thought that really right from the get-go. I, I, I thought that for a couple of years, uh, as a matter of fact. And he's done a marvelous job of you know just kind of waiting his time uh, here and we've seen a lot of Clemson players do that. You know, Vic Beasley didn't start here until his redshirt junior year that he that he really got significant snaps. Kevin Dodd didn't get significant snaps until his redshirt junior year. Uh, you know, and so here's been Kelly, just been very patient. And this is the way that it used to be, Matt. You you know this. Yeah. It, it used to be that a quarterback, man, you didn't play until you were a junior. I mean, I, but it's it's a totally different world in which we live in in now where. Freshmen are stepping in, coming right in from high school and playing right away. Part of it is because of the seven-on-seven stuff and everything that is being done on the high school level. Uh, from and so they're just much more prepared uh, coming in. But this is this is old school. And Kelly is actually a better athlete uh, than than Deshaun. He, he certainly is a, a more physical and brutal kind of runner than than Deshaun was. And and he's just doing it in a different way. You know, he's he's getting it done on the ground. But but don't question his arm. Don't question his throwing ability because. He can do that. He he can beat you both ways. If if they put eight in the box and say, okay, you know, we're going to go man to man on your wideouts and force your quarterback to beat you, Kelly Bryant can do that. But if you're going to just sit back there in a soft too deep and allow uh, the the running game to get going, and then he'll do that to you as as well. He's he's kind of like the the perfect complement, I think, coming off of Deshaun to this offense and. This offense has just kind of clicked along with with him at quarterback. Seven rushing touchdowns so far this year for Kelly Bryant, which. Uh, puts him 
really, when you look at maybe adjust slightly for playing time, puts him just shy of uh, Eric Dungy status in, in terms of the number of rushing touchdowns that Eric has uh, leading the team and uh, becoming a dual threat. You know, I, I know Coach Sweeney has said a lot of very positive things uh, this week about Syracuse. I would imagine he does that every week about the opponent. To what degree do you feel like they're legitimately concerned about the tempo or the conditions here, Don? And um, is there anything else on the schedule for Clemson this year that's approximated what Syracuse does? I would say that maybe, you know, certainly the tempo is, is the thing because we're not going to play anybody else in the country that plays at a at a quicker tempo than what Dino Babers wants to do with his with his offense. Uh, and so, you know, I've been over there watching practice this week, and poor Brent Venables is just wearing out the uh, uh, the scout team guys right now. They're they're begging for mercy uh, right now with the way the tempo that they're running uh, things at uh, right now. So they'll I think they'll be prepared from uh, from that standpoint. And again, just the number of bodies that they'll be able to play on the defensive side of the ball, I think will will certainly help them out uh, pretty well. You know, the uh, the as far as the atmosphere there in in the uh, in the dome, this is the only place. This is the only place for Coach Sweeney when they get off the airplane, get on the bus, they actually will go to the site and take a look because it is it is that much different. He thinks than than any place else. So uh, when we get off the plane tomorrow, we'll actually get on the bus, head over, go take a walk around the Carrier Dome for about twenty minutes, let the guys take a good look at it uh, from that standpoint, then head off to the hotel and kind of get bunkered in and, and then ready to go for, for Friday night. But but he realizes what, what what's going on, and, and he's very, very respectful of what Dino Babers has, has done there at Syracuse. And I think Dino's done a, done a marvelous job. I think that he's, you know, he's brought an offense. There's, there's now an identity to them offensively. There's now an identity to them defensively with what they, with what they want to do. And I'm not so sure that that was the case with, with Syracuse, you know, um, you know, a couple, just a couple of years back. No, I'd agree with you, and I think that's half the battle. It's totally underrated the idea to me in college of just having a plan. It doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be the right one or the perfect one. If you've got a plan and you recruit to what it is, and everybody falls in line with it, um, that's really, really important. And Clemson clearly has that in spades. And uh, good stuff, Don. The the last thing, just what what can you share about? Uh, I know there are a couple of other injuries, you know, the kicker and that type of thing. But uh, for Kelly Bryant, it sounds like he's clearly practicing. Uh, how limited do, do you think he is? What type of play did he get hurt on, Don? He was just a just simple handoff at the goal line. He just kind of got submarine hit hit uh, in the lower part of the uh, the ankle and stuff. But you know, he's been moving around all right in, in practice the last couple of days. I'll go back up and watch it here today. I, I fully expect to see him go on go on Friday night and, and be ready to, to, to get after it. So uh, I think that, that you'll see number two just kind of running the offense and taking care of business. All good, man. We're looking forward to it. Safe travels. We'll uh, catch up with you here in the Dome on Friday, okay? Sounds good. Thanks, brother. That's uh, Don Munson, the play-by-play voice of Clemson Tiger football and baseball. Very tight with uh, Coach Sweeney, good guy. And uh, we'll have Coach Sweeney coming on here in just a few moments. You're listening to In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Live from the DBOffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. I don't care. The Boston Red Sox are now looking for a new manager. John Farrell had one year left on his contract. 
Dave Dombrowski, president of baseball operations for the Red Sox, says the clubhouse needs a new voice and a fresh public face. I also heard where he said something to the effect of this is related to an issue that would not have been fixed regardless of the outcomes of the games, which is uh, a very odd thing to say, and I apologize for not knowing uh, more closely exactly what he's referring to here. I- I'm blown away by how quick the trigger is pulled on some of these. I mean, John Farrell you know, has the Red Sox, maybe you should say they should be there based on the payroll, but the Red Sox are right there. Joe Girardi has the Yankees right there, maybe a year ahead. He obviously blew it uh, with the lack of a replay here recently and admitted as such, and we're ready to run them uh, right out. Uh, amazing to me to see how these particular jobs change hands. Yeah, Yankees, Red Sox are different animals. There's, yeah, they're not cut off everybody. Patience. You know, Tito Francota is probably the best manager in baseball. I mean, he's right up there. He and Joe Madden, uh, really, really good, and there's a lot of other good ones, but not everyone can work in uh, New York, Boston, uh, Philly, I guess, maybe to a lesser extent. The New York Knicks, now the latest NBA team to wear an advertising patch on their jerseys. A team announcing the logo for the website's publishing platform, Squarespace, will be part of team jerseys. 16 other NBA teams have included uh, advertising in team jerseys. Yeah, I don't care if if you're going to... It's one of those things you'll forget about. They'll fade into the landscape, and then it'll be the new normal, and and then future, it'll it'll be like soccer where the... I don't like that, where the name of the sponsor is more prominent than the name of the team itself. But if anybody's going to have it, New York should. They uh, can leverage their market and exposure. And doctors normally see a jump in cases of head lice this time of the year, but apparently it has nothing to do with the start of the new school year. Officials say the spike in lice come from Halloween costumes. It's suggested you don't try on Halloween masks and wigs in stores. And you just got a haircut, too. <laughs> Coincidence? Uh, no, one has nothing to do with the other. Okay, That's a big thing on social media, people putting on those masks and snapping pictures at Walmarts and other places like that. I could see it. Without committing to the it? The carrier of oh, head lice is creepy for the, a lot of reasons. the Donald Trump mask. All right, let's move along. <laughs> National Championship football coach about to come on. Let's nip the head lice discussion <laughs> in the bud in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. The top of the hour, good to have you along with us in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. I'd like to, at this time, bring in Dabo Sweeney, head coach of the Clemson Tigers, unbeaten, ranked number two in the country. And, Coach, we thank you for your time. And we, it seems like we say this every year, that you could uh, you could easily blow these off and you don't. So we appreciate that, first and foremost. You got it. Good to be with you. Well, uh, I thought the best place to start would be your perspective because we appreciate the way you've sort of built the program and, and you message it. How do you deal with keeping momentum that you've worked hard to build, and does that work for or against the focus that you need to have week to week? Um, no, I mean, we, we, just, we just try to you know, really focus on how we play every week. Um, you know, I think – when you, when you focus more on who you're playing or where you're playing, or what the weather is and all that stuff, uh, you, you really can't establish the type of consistency that you need uh, because then you're going to be affected by things that don't matter. you know. And so we really just, just focus on uh, how we play every week, and we do that by focusing on how we practice. You know, I'm just having a daily focus, and and that's just what we do here. That's what we've always done. We get ready for the opponent. 
man, we, we, we just try to make every game, you know, uh, the biggest game of the year. And it's kind of got its own message each and every week. And, um, you know, we have fun with it. And, and that's the other thing. We try to have fun along the way so that it doesn't become a grind, that that you just enjoy the journey. And, I mean, the season's flying by. You only get 12 of these opportunities. We work all year long for 12 days. 12 days really kind of determine your your season, kind of determine your swag, if you will, in the off season. And and so, I mean, we just put everything we got into each and every week. Uh, we really do. And you know, our guys have bought into that. Uh, we try to we work hard at developing leadership on this team because uh, I think you got to have that great leadership. You got to have good chemistry and good morale. Um, you know, so, you know, every, each and every week, that's what we say, you know, it's like a big rolling rock, you know, you, you, you know, sometimes when you start pushing it, it, it's really hard in the beginning to get it moving. But then once you get it moving, you get that momentum, you're really not pushing any harder. It's just, it's just because of, you know, the momentum, it moves easier. And, uh, so, but you still got to put that effort into it. You still got to push. And, and, uh, so that's, that's what we talk about and focus on every week. Well, it seems to have a lot of positive ramifications of that. It, one would be the building of depth because yep. I know that your starting jobs are not all that safe and the next guy is pretty good too. Yeah, we, we, we really – that's something that we're very committed to here, you know, because uh, we, we're at a point now in our program where we have a lot of guys that want to come here. And so, you know, I think you've got to – continue to nurture and focus on the type of culture that you have, the type of culture that you want to have or maintain. And so that's all about who you bring in, you know, you, and so I'm, I'm very, very focused and very disciplined on, you know, not the guy wearing the helmet, but who's, who's in the helmet, not, not, not who's playing, but, but uh, who is the person that's coming in here? Uh, because you want to have the right fit uh, because we got a lot of good players and so, and then from a coaching standpoint, you know, I think one of the big keys to consistency, because you're going to lose players every single year in college, but how are you developing that guy that's not playing as much or maybe not playing, maybe he's not playing at all? Uh, how are you keeping him engaged? How are you developing him? What are your messages to him? Uh, I think that's an important part of a program, you know, to sustain success. Uh, so that that next guy's ready. You you guys haven't seen the you know I say y'all the, the media and outside world hadn't seen much of Kelly Bryant over the first two years of his career. Right. But, but you know, listen, he was being developed, he was being taught, he was being coached, he was stayed engaged. There was, you know, and that's why now he all of a sudden he's ready. And then, you know, you don't do it as quarterback at quarterback as much. But all the other positions, I mean, you know, we I think we played eight linemen last year last week, uh, thirty plus snaps. So we just we, we, we play these guys, and I think our guys, you know, some guys that maybe they only play 10 snaps, but those 10 snaps are critical to the development of that person and that player. And uh, so we're just very committed uh, to, to getting a lot of guys opportunity to play. It creates competition. It creates the type of edge that you want in your meetings on the practice field. You know, it, it stamps out entitlement. Um, and then you, you create that morale uh, where guys are excited, man, and then, and then you create team because, you, you, you know, you start to – guys pull for one another and so forth. And so it's been good. We're, we're at a good spot uh, where we do have good depth. And, and, uh, but I think it's one thing to have depth. It's another thing to really use it and nurture it. 
Debo Sweeney is our guest head coach of the Clemson Tigers. They've won 11 in a row. And, and to back up what you're talking about in terms of the depth of production, you've got four linebackers that have at least 25 tackles. You have have seven defensive backs in double-digit tackles uh, so far this year. This has been an extraordinary defense. Coach, your, your story is well told. I, I think you uh, walk on at uh, Alabama and you've uh, clashed with your alma mater in these last couple of years and, and, and may again. If you could take us back to that time when you either were a college player or when you were in out of football and, and kind of uh, coming back into coaching, in your wildest dreams, you know this idea of, of where you are now, how close is it to what you dreamt about in terms of if someday I get a chance, this is how I'm going to put my program together? Well, it's very close. Um, you know, I mean, when I um... – when I was a player, I really had never thought about coaching, so that was never a thought. My, my was all I ever thought about was playing. I really did not uh, even think about coaching until uh, my last semester of school after we had won the national championship my senior year, and it was getting time to move on. And, and Gene Stallings all of a sudden had a GA spot, and he, he's wanting me to take that spot. And I'm like, oh man, I don't want to go to school anymore. I'm ready to move on, get married, and had a job, and and I was broke. Um, but it was, it was easier for me to tell that person I wasn't going to take that job than it was to tell Gene Stallings I wasn't going to do it. And uh, so next thing I know, I'm in grad school. And, and, uh, but it's the best thing we're having to because I knew immediately that, hey, this is, this is my purpose in life. This is what I'm called to do. And it was just like this, you know, moment of clarity for me in my life. Um, and uh, so I, I literally, from the moment I got into coaching in 1993, I I had a vision of being a head coach, and um, you know that was a goal of mine. And so I I literally just you know always prepared for that opportunity, even if it was never going to come. I was always preparing for it, always learning, still learning to this day. Uh, but then as I got you know a lot of water under the bridge, and and uh, you know I, I I coached for eight years at Alabama, and then I was coaching for two seasons, and then I came to Clemson. And, um, you know, by the time I came to Clemson, I was 33. I had a clear vision of what what I wanted uh, a program to look like if I ever got the opportunity. And I'm thankful that I had that at that time. And I had always kind of thought that way, prepared that way, because all of a sudden, you know, I'm 38 years old, October 13th, which is my nine-year anniversary, 2008, is actually Friday night playing Syracuse. So, um, nine years ago on the 13th is when I became the interim coach. And, um, you know, but I was ready. I was prepared. Uh, I, I had a vision for what it should look like and uh, just put my head down and went to work. And we're, we're the type of program that I always wanted to be associated with. You know, we do things the right way. We love our players. We graduate our players. We serve the community. And, um uh, you know, we, we have fun doing it. i uh, got a great group of people around me, staff, support staff, and uh, I get to live at an awesome place like Clemson, South Carolina, and do something that I love to do. And I get to use the game of football to, to really build great men, uh, to, to go out and dominate in life and, and take what they get here, take it with them. Uh, don't leave it here, take it with them. And so it's been, uh, it's been a real blessing. It's been an awesome nine years. And, um, you know, hopefully I got a few more in me. 
Well, you ought to be awfully proud of uh, Deshaun Watson of late in, in the way that he's represented Clemson and, and spread the word a, a bit, and I know you are. A couple of quick ones, Coach, on the game, and we'll turn you loose. Okay. Uh, with Kelly Bryant, you know, to what degree is he limited? How, how do you go into the game? Do you either go full bore and then have to take him out if, if need be? Uh, is he ready to go full bore, that's, that sort of thing, or do you have to protect him in some way? No, we're going. We, we're, we're, this is the biggest game of the year. Uh, we're going to win, uh, and we're going to put our best foot forward, and uh, Kelly will be ready to roll. And lastly, how do you – I know you've been very complimentary uh, this week about Syracuse's uh, recent uh, growth and development and uh, the type of challenges they present uh, with the offense. Yep. How do you manage it uh, from your perspective? What are the most important things you've dealt with this week during practice on your defense to get ready? Well, for our defense, I mean, you just try to you, you you try to simulate the tempo that they're going to play play at, and you know it's it's all about positioning with these guys because they they do a phenomenal job of you know making you run horizontally, vertically. I mean, they got a million screens. Uh, quarterback's the leading rusher, so you can't ignore him. If you give them any space at all, they'll take it. I mean, the ball's on the – you know, their run game is getting the ball on the edge in a heartbeat. And even if it's three yards, that's, you know, that's a positive play. And, you know, they'll take – they got a million RPOs. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you, you know, when you when you challenge them and you get up there and you take that space away, they're going to throw the ball down the field. Uh, I think their two receivers are just awesome players. Um, I mean, just two dynamic guys, three and eight. And, and that number eight, man – you know, we always say, hey, you gotta you gotta win those fifty fifty balls, but they really haven't been fifty fifty balls with him. It's more like, you know, eighty twenty. You know, he, he just somehow comes down with a lot of balls that you don't even know how he made the catch. But he, he's he is a very good receiver. Um and uh so we got our hands full uh with this bunch and then on the flip side of it you you know, looking at their defense, they they, they bring a lot of pressure. Uh, they force you to spend a lot of time uh, trying to identify and get targeted uh, on the right guys. I mean, because they got them coming from everywhere. A lot of pressure. You know, they're not sold out like they used to be. Where they're playing a bunch of cover zero. Uh, they're still bringing a lot of pressure, but they're but but they've got a little more coverage behind it. And uh, so this is a this is a, a game that you got to really be locked in uh, I know it'll be a great environment and, and loud and all that stuff so just communication uh, getting lined up and and giving uh, giving yourself a chance to be successful awesome stuff uh, as always coach we appreciate uh, your time and uh, wish you the best safe travels and we'll uh, look for you on Friday okay yeah appreciate it see you that, soon that's uh devil Sweeney head coach of the Clemson Tigers lots of good stuff and we still have more to come over the course of the week. Friday will be a game preview edition of In the Booth. Tomorrow we can rehash some of the things that we learned and talked about today and get into the Jets a little bit. Bob Wischusen, the voice of the New York Jets on ESPN Radio in New York and as well an ESPN television play-by-play announcer. He has the Michigan game this weekend. He'll join us tomorrow. We appreciate that. So thanks to uh, Coach Sweeney, Don Munson for joining us on a very Clemson edition of the show today. For Paulie and Joe, I'm Matt saying so long in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse.